0: What parts of your identity are you leaving behind because you think it's not important or that it's inconvenient, that you're ignoring it because even though it's part of who you are, it's not visible? What part of your identity could use some healing, some love and attention? Where could you reconnect with people from that space? Or how can you learn the history of your culture uh, that would help you feel more connected Let's just talk about it. Let's share it on the podcast and find relatable spaces in those stories to connect. Heyo, welcome to the Asian Detox podcast, the podcast where we boldly reclaim Asian-American prosperity. We have relatable conversations about how being Asian-American shows up in our day-to-day lives how money is deeply embedded in our culture, and how you can choose to define your own version of success in a world that tries to tell us how to be. I'm your host, TJ Way, your hashtag variation, non-binary, gluten and dairy-free money habits coach. And I want you to know that you don't have to live in the boxes other people put you in. You can design your abundant life in a way that honors your heritage while enjoying a life of ease and alignment. And you can do it while making money and building generational wealth. What's your nationality? Where are you really from? No, no. Where are you from? Your English is really good. Gee, thanks, guys. Um, (laughs) I was born here. And if you are like me, you've had these questions asked of you, whether or not you are East Asian, Southeast Asian, South Asian, all of these things. If you are in the West, you most likely had somebody ask you this question based off of the color of your skin or your physical features, all of those fun things. And you may or may not have been born in the country that you're currently living in. That doesn't really change much. But to tell you the truth, I actually never got asked that question until I turned 18. I grew up in the California Bay Area where we were 80% Asian in my high school. So these questions to me were like myths, like something that I heard on TV or radio that was like some kind of racist behavior that I had never personally encountered. I can count on my hand like two times that I remember having somebody say something that was Obviously racist to me. And of course, at the time, I wasn't familiar with the term microaggression. So I had no clue how to even identify other less obvious versions of racism. My entire year of freshman year at college was the first time I was really forced to question and think about my Asian American identity as some kind of otherness. And again, I also didn't have that term back then. Otherness was not a thing that I really understood. Besides the concept of like majority versus minority, which at my high school, again, the white people were the minority. So my freshman year in college was quite honestly traumatizing. And I didn't realize that this was a trauma to me up until three months ago. So let me tell you about it. I distinctly remember moving to Arizona from California, thinking, oh, well, this is really close to California. Surely they've seen other Asians before. This won't be such a big deal, but it'll be good exposure to more white people, to like what the white people norms are, to how to behave that was a little bit less of that like stereotypical model minority reserved behavior where you, all you ever do is study and you're usually a lot more conservative and all of those things. Um, I was really looking forward to broadening my horizons in that way. But what I did not anticipate is that uh, Arizona actually gets a lot of Midwestern transplants because it's cheaper to pay out-of-state tuition to Arizona than it is to pay in-state tuition in states like Illinois. So all of these Midwesterners had never seen an Asian before. And not a single one of them was malicious in any kind of way. It was just out of pure ignorance that they would ask these questions that uh, if you ask me them now, now that I'm 30, I would definitely, um, you you would not get a polite response, is all I will say. So I distinctly remember one instance where um, I'd been at the college for a couple of weeks, I would say. I was going through this scavenger hunt that my university does, or at least they did back then. When I went to that university, there were 80,000 students, so it was a ginormous population, and based off of those numbers, it's very easy to get lost in it, especially if you're an out-of-state student. So what they did was little events like the scavenger hunt to help you feel more welcome, to help you navigate the campus. You like you go look for things in different places on campus and get familiar with where your classes are going to be, all of these fun things. So I remember being halfway through the scavenger hunt, and we're taking a break, and a girl walks up to me, and I had seen her around before, um, and behind her is this guy, and she asked me, hey, TJ, what's your nationality? And by then i had heard this question enough times that instead of skipping the the question of like do you really mean what's my nationality or do you mean what's my race or my ethnicity is that what you're asking me like back then i didn't know i didn't i wasn't experienced enough to ask clarifying questions when asked a question i just have this impulse to answer questions when they're asked of me um but by then i had heard this question enough and questioned it myself enough to be like America. My nationality is American. And I just said that in kind of like a flippant way. And she turns to the guy behind her and says, see, I told you so. So that's just um my favorite instance of getting this question and like demonstrating that it wasn't malicious at all it was just that they genuinely like didn't know how to ask or how better to phrase it or to be a little bit more gentle with the wording so that is descriptive of or representative of my freshman year at college and then after that it dropped off i, I people had figured out oh I've met a few other races. We've had this rough conversation a couple of times. We can stop asking this question now. So that was the the white interaction I had when I was a freshman. And then on the reverse side, this was, I I wouldn't say this is typical, but I also had interactions with international students, mostly from China. Um, We also had a lot of South Koreans. Arizona State gets a lot, a lot of international students, but my family is Chinese by way of Taiwan. So I speak some Taiwan Mandarin. Not amazingly. I generally wouldn't call myself bilingual. Like if you wanted to hire me as a a translator or a bilingual person, I'd be like, whoa, 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 no. My brain can't do that. I can barely talk to my mom in like in a hundred percent Chinese. So I met these international students and we were on the bus or something, and I remember like wanting to talk to them and like I started talking to them at first and they knew me a little bit but I got this like oh you don't talk fast enough for us or something like I was clearly other to them as well like they recognized that I wasn't also an international student so then they would just have their conversations just amongst themselves in Chinese that I could understand and really fast and it wasn't like they were saying anything bad about me but I got excluded I would guess mostly because I would slow them down and they didn't want to have to hurt their brains to learn English, but that was kind of like those two instances were traumatizing to me in a sense of, oh, I'm not welcome in like the international space and then I'm also too Asian to like, it stands out, it's inconvenient to the white people. It causes a lot of these annoying questions that I have to answer. Uh, I've gotten very used to saying, that I'm from California when people ask me where I'm from and then I drill down into my city. And most people nowadays will like get it that like that's my only answer. That's all I've got. I've never lived in another country. I visited, but I don't have citizenship elsewhere. So usually people figure that out and they stop. But those instances, like all through freshman year and then in sophomore year, I took a sociology class and my professor who was like I would say he passes as white, but is like a melting pot type of ethnicity. Um, He told a story about how him and his colleagues would refer to students and like tell a story or something. But anytime they were referring to a non-white student, like some type of minority student, they would append the like that minority in front of their name or their gender in front of their name or whatever it was. And then he was telling us, he was like, I had to stop us. I had to catch us and say, why are we doing this? Is this relevant to the story? Why do we need to always point out the ethnicity of the student we're referring to? It makes no sense. And that was his like reflection on like some of the microaggressions that he was observing in his profession and that how He eventually got fed up because he does have the multiple ethnicities in him. And then when you fill out those likes, those. Biographical or demographic forms, and we had recently done the um, the U.S. Census for 2010. So he was saying that when he goes to fill those out, he would need to check multiple boxes usually because he like knew where his bloodline was from. So he wanted to fill all of it out, but sometimes it only gives you like the check one option. It doesn't let you have multiple choice. So eventually, he would just go down to the other box and just say American. And I took that as like, oh, that's a great tip. I really like that because to me, having left a very Asian childhood where like everything was like, oh, we're collectivists. We do everything for the family. You have like, you have no independence. You're doing things for us or like you have to pay us back. Those kinds of feelings were built up in my childhood. And I had always wanted to embody more of the independence that I saw in media because I grew up here. So all of the media directed at me, all the cartoons and live action I watched were about how we idealize being independent, being self-sufficient, all of these things, freedom, all like everything that was basically the opposite of what my parents wanted me to grow up with, of this idea of, like, I'm part of a whole and that I should be grateful for everything they've done. And I am now, but back then, if you tell me that I have to be grateful, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? As a first-generation Asian American, I grew up trying to fit into the boxes other people put me in. I considered acting, voice acting, and writing as career options when I was little but ended up joining corporate America as an IT project manager to take the Asian parent-approved path. The good news is it's not too late for me to follow those more creative goals, but I didn't have the energy to work both my corporate job and follow those passions, and I couldn't shake the cultural directive to be financially stable so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me. It's so ingrained in me that it's difficult to focus on more creative pursuits or what might be considered passion projects without the financial backing to support myself. That's why I'm such a big fan of building systems and financial foundations that leverage my hashtag very Asian frugal money habits and the more expansive abundance mindset that I strive to embody every day. While sitting at my corporate job feeling like there must be more to life than this, I spent years learning and absorbing information about how to become financially independent, invest in real estate and stocks, and build a business. And now, I'm on track to retire by 40. But more than that, I have the freedom to dress how I want, because how I dress now is certainly not considered professional, adopt unconventional pronouns, and work fewer hours to support my physical and mental health. I get to choose what clients I work with, who I spend time with, and what boundaries I need to set in order to keep the toxic expectations and hustle culture at bay. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to make your next big money move and build the financial foundations you need to feel like you can show up as your full self, I have an offer for you. My generational wealth building money mentorship program is three months of direct access to me and my brain to cut through all of the noise and conflicting information on the internet and get you where you need to be financially. Get a wealth building strategy, action plan, curated resources, and emotional support to put you on the path towards your abundant life. The link is in the show notes. Um, so the idea of just labeling myself as just American, like drop the Asian part, just the American, even though I'm like pure blood Chinese, that was extremely appealing to me. So that was like my go forward strategy that helped me deal with the fact that I was living in a white world. And now that I've, gone through 10 years of working in corporate America, and I'm running a business where I'm trying to be visible on social media. And and social media loves it when you tell your personal stories and they eat all that stuff up. So I'm trying to do more of it. And I'm personally inclined, if I'm talking one-on-one with somebody, to be extremely transparent with absolutely all of my identities. But I'm realizing, or when I started this back in November of 2021 that I was struggling to talk about my ethnicity as part of my identity, as part of my experience. And and not only that, not just talk about that specifically, but put myself out there in general because my Asian-ness, there's a cultural imperative that everything is private. You don't share a lot of things outside of the family. You don't share any of the hard stuff. You only try to show that you're like perfect and amazing. And you try to be just that vision of perfect that you get on social media a lot, but I'm like all about wanting to be raw and transparent. Uh, So I was fighting this internal struggle with my own culture of how, oh, I can't say that, or if I say that, it'll get back to my mom, or my brother will see it, what have you. So I actually had to unfriend my mom and my brother on Facebook so that I could write posts about my childhood or my money stories, or just to feel a little bit safer sharing them because I'm actually pretty sure they might give me some crap about it, but they wouldn't like disown me or anything. But that was more for my comfort level, something I had to do. So this adventure in starting what is a very visible social media-based online company as a money coach was a revisiting of my own personal identity. And I've talked to a few other business owner friends of mine, and we really believe it of like, running your own business is the best way to learn about yourself. You learn about the ways you prefer to work. You don't use like that broad spectrum template that everybody says of like, oh, you work nine to five, you take this many breaks, you work 40 hours a week. This is the time frame you do things by and all of that. Like when you own your own business, you can throw all of that out the door. So this running a business thing has really been a journey of self discovery for me. And the fact that my Asianness was kind of getting in the way, or at least my trauma around the concept that like there was no place for my Asianness in the business world, because I went to school for um business. So I got my undergrad in computer information systems and then moved to like a corporate job as an IT project manager. And all through that, most of my colleagues were white. I did my first job, actually had quite a few Asians because it was a global company. I'm trying to reflect on that. When I say quite a few, I really mean like I can think of two um, that were physically in my building that I could see if I stood up in my cubicle. So that's that's how pathetic it is, okay? like And then even when I went back to California to work for a bit, In the Silicon Valley, I also didn't run into very many Asians or we weren't like, we didn't talk about it. We didn't share our experiences as Asians. Like if I talk to my high school friends, we'll talk about it. But if I talk to my coworkers, that shit didn't come up. So it felt very disconnected. And I'm not in any of the the Asian associations in the Phoenix area is where I'm sitting right now. I'm not part of any of those associations as an adult. Like I was in a couple when I was in college, but I had to drop them because there was a whole lot of balls in the air. But I'm not anymore. And I'm disconnected from the local community. I don't live near an Asian center. So I don't have like an Asian market right by me. Actually, my roommate is the one that goes to grocery shop for all of the Asian food because he works right by the H Mart over uh, across town. So I I rarely even set foot into an Asian market anymore. And then, ha ha ha, then I'm also gluten-free, which there's gluten in soy sauce, guys. Did you know that? Um, so I can't go into most... Asian eateries because all of their sauces are built with soy sauce in them, which has the wheat in it, which means that I can't eat it, and I am so Asian, right that I'm like, yes, I know that you're using the cheap soy sauce that has wheat in it, and I know that it's in like absolutely everything you make. so guess what? I'm just not even gonna bother. I'm not gonna try to explain what the heck gluten is to your immigrant chef you're I'm not gonna put your waiter in a weird position where I'm gonna sit there and be like super sad and depressed that I can't eat the food that I grew up with. So I don't, which makes me super disconnected because when I do get Asian food, it's either like P.F. Chang's or Pei Wei or I make it myself. I can't have pho and Thai, so that does help. But um, I actually never had Thai food back in California. I learned to eat Thai food in Arizona. And then pho is kind of like this weird in and out scenario where you're not You're not really sitting there to socialize. You're like, I'm going to be here with my family. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to go. They're usually um, the genuine places are not designed as hangouts. And the ones that look like hangouts feel wrong because they cater to white people, first of all. Um, and they just feel wrong. They're they're not familiar to me. This is not the atmosphere that I'm looking for. And then I'm just paying a premium for atmosphere. And um, I forget which comedian said this, but some Asian comedian said that Asians don't pay for atmosphere. That's not a thing we do. So all of that to say that I feel super disconnected from the Asian-American community. And then we recently, when I'm recording this, this is June, so we recently um, had... Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We had that and luckily I was able to like pull up a few stories of like hey this is like me in Indonesia with my best friend and like all of these things but it really felt like I kind of missed the mark or like I I kind of missed the bus on that of like taking advantage of the time when um, we were being a lot more visible about being Asian. And this is something that I'm really leaning into now is this concept of being like visibly Asian. Like if I want to wear my chi around as like a fancy dress, then I'm going to do it. I don't care what day it is anymore. It used to be I only wore them on like Chinese New Year's. And that was like the only time which when you've spent $80 on a dress, you're like, really? I, I'm only going to wear this once a year, maybe? <laughs> so. That is how I feel about about how connected I am to my Asian American identity right now. So that's actually why I started this podcast, was because I wanted to reconnect with the Asian American community. And I call it the Asian Detox Podcast because I find that for me and for a couple of other of my friends who have been kind of outside of the Asian American circles... Um, For a while, we view the Asian American community as like purely composed of this hustle culture where all you do is work, 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 or you study really hard and then you do what your parents told you and then you make some money, but you're not actually happy and you're not doing what you're passionate about. That was like our impression of what it is to like exist in an Asian American community. And that is not true. I recently joined a a Facebook group that is extremely active with a whole bunch of agents in it, um, the Asian Hustle Network, and just the word, like the name of the network, it says hustle in it. And that really put me off for a bit, and I still haven't introduced myself in this group, but I am observing it, and it's a lot more genuine and a lot more authentic than my first impression would be. So the reason I call this the Asian Detox Podcast is because I'm detoxifying my own impressions or like my internalized stereotypes about my own people for crying out loud, <laughs> right? Like we're all human. We're all going to go through similar struggles. And especially if you grow up in the West where they embody like you should do what you're happy with or be passionate about, like pursue your bliss, whatever the the phrasing is for you, then like that's going to show up. And we're all in maybe different places in that journey. Some people are still going through that identity crisis of like, what the hell do I want versus what my parents told me I should want, what society expects from me, all of those things. So this podcast is designed to bring guests on, to ask them about their experience, if they had something that they had to unpick in their identity or like different aspects of who they are that are still very Asian, but a different experience than I personally have. So this is helping me broaden my view into what it is to be Asian American specifically, what that term actually means versus what people try to make it mean. Um, I want it to mean something more inclusive. I don't want it to have to be like, let's add like all of these other descriptors just to make sure everybody feels represented and visible. Let's just do it. Let's just talk about it. Let's share it on the podcast and Find relatable spaces in those stories to connect, and my hope is that you will also find something relatable for you. Uh, whether or not you're Asian, you could be some other form of immigrant, which I think that that would be like the next closest thing. Is if you have an immigrant experience, you're probably going to relate to a lot of our stories, and we're not going to just stick to like ethnicity, right? Like I have the the gluten and dairy free identity. I'm also non-binary. So all of these things are going to come up in future stories that we have on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to it. And that is why I decided to do this podcast. So in closing, what I want to ask you, because I've talked a lot about myself now, you don't have to do anything with this answer, but if you want, you can tag me on social media. But what parts of your identity are you leaving behind because you think it's not important or that it's inconvenient, that you're ignoring it, Because even though it's part of who you are, it's not visible. And actually, I I really love mentioning the part about it being inconvenient, because recently Pixar had the Turning Red movie, and they described the Asianness as inconvenient. And that's really what the, like, that was the word I needed to hear about how I was handling my Asian American identity, was that somehow it didn't belong in this, like, white corporate space. So I had completely whitewashed myself and removed it from the way I represented myself. So again, this is me coming back to trying to show more of my, like, all of my identities um, through this podcast. So again, I have to pose that to you. Let me phrase that back for you again. What part of you are you ignoring because it's inconvenient that you're not actively reconnecting with it? What part of your identity could use some healing, some love, and attention? Where could you reconnect with people from that space? Or how can you learn the history of your culture uh, that would help you feel more connected? Um, and just just the tiny things. I'm not asking you guys to do anything big, like sign up to do a gap year in your home country or the country where your parents are from or what have you. I'm just asking you to reflect on it. Of like, what did you maybe in your childhood was a big part of your life that when you grew up you decided wasn't helpful to where you were trying to go. And all I'm asking is that you question whether or not that's still the case, or if you're happy with it to be that way you know, just giving you an opportunity to reflect on your own identity there. I know that something in this episode left you feeling, oh my God, that's so me. And I want to hear about it. Leave a review on iTunes or tag me on social media and share your relatable story with us so that we can normalize our experiences as Asian Americans and help more people feel safe to step outside of the box. I can't wait to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram at tj.wey. And don't forget to design your abundant life.